I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, episode two of Developers Eating the World. I'm sitting here with Jenny. And where are we, Jenny? We are at SauceCon 2019. What is SauceCon? SauceCon is put on by Sauce Labs, and it is a testing convention that is really around automation and using Sauce Labs and all the interesting developments in test engineering in the past year. Quality nerds. It's quality nerds. (laughs) So, um... Jenny and I did a, we did another interview. Yeah. That one actually had video. Hours ago. Oh, hours ago. <laughs> um, and what I really liked about that conversation and why I wanted to chat some more is the focus on career development. Now, I think it's important throughout the development space. Absolutely. Um, but in particular, there's a special challenge, I think, in the quality area because of the fact that not only is it, you know, just um, getting a career in application quality, it's the fact that there's been such a transition from manual Mm -hmm. to automated testing that, you know, people have asked me, like, I'm a QA, um, you know, I'm I'm a manual tester, how do I get into the engineering side of it? And I would honestly say you're already there. (laughs) A manual tester has so much to offer to the entire life cycle. Jumping into automation is another tool in your toolbox. And I'll say that a hundred million times to a hundred million people. And yeah, you should absolutely add it. You should start working towards learning to code, working towards learning the software development lifestyle, and working towards getting that in there. Do you think they have to learn, like, do you have to become a coder? Oh, that's such a difficult question. It's difficult to be an automation engineer if you don't know how to code. And it will take a long time for you to find a place that will take someone that doesn't code. So yeah, I think there's gonna come a point in your career development that you will need to learn how to write at least some basic code. Yeah, and what language do you, would you suggest that somebody yes. start with? Yes, any All language? Of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. If I say, oh, learn Ruby, and you're in a Java that's shop, true. what does that mean? Right. If I say, oh, learn Swift, but you're using Cypress, it's going to do you no good. Yeah. So you need to learn the tools of the company that you're in or the place you want to go. Like if you want to be a plumber, learning how to do beautiful chef knife cuts isn't going to do you a lot of good yeah. in your career. Well, plumbers have to learn pecs now or whatever that's. They stuff have to is. learn a million crazy things. Yeah, yeah. I think the the development. You know, when I was a developer, I was a .NET developer, and you know, I was able to go into you know PHP. That was okay. Mm-hmm. But now, like, who really talks about PHP anymore? We um, make fun of it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Um, that's the thing like learn the the development environment that you're in and if you're gonna be there for a while then that's what you should learn once you learn one language if you've got the capacity to learn it that's what I was just then gonna say you're going to be able to pick up another language yeah. much easier yeah and it's also being able to speak the concepts and you know right like, exactly. even though I'm a horrible coder I can I can 
figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, I can read somebody's code usually. And that's unless it's Pearl. Yeah, no one like, can read oh. Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what's important. Even if you're a manual tester who has no interest in going into automation, being able to read code is so valuable. You can look at a stack trace and understand what it's saying. Right. And sometimes you can look at a piece of code and be like, that doesn't feel right. Yeah, there's that intimidation factor that I think is just prevalent. And I think it's prevalent in a lot of fields too. We were talking about physics earlier and you know somebody said well I could never be a physicist because I didn't like math it's like well god you know that really sucks that you have to know math to become a physicist necessarily like when you get down into it mm -hmm. you have to know it but there's that weird like barrier that people tell themselves absolutely we set up a lot of artificial roadblocks for ourselves yeah and part of that I think is this hopefully growing outdated notion that QA and development don't talk, that they can't be friends, that they can't cross-pollinate. So we say, well, I can't learn to code because then I'll be one of them. And that's not what we want at all. And setting up these artificial roadblocks, it, it's also a way for us to avoid doing things that are hard and difficult and looking for change. So let's talk about your, well, before we do that, I have to say that I already broke my format of this podcast. We're not <laughs> eating food. We are literally at the hotel bar. What are you drinking? Oh, I have a cranberry vodka. I was going to order a white Russian, but then I remembered how much milk that is. <laughs> and I was kind of looking forward to the white Russian. And I got a McCollin 12. I wanted to get the 18, and then I found out it was 48, what do you say, 48 bucks? It's like 50 bucks. It was. Well, this one was, well, anyways, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so we're not eating food. My excuse is that, you know, most conference food, I think, totally sucks. And you didn't totally agree with me. And talk about the brisket, Sauce Lab, yeah, I'm going to talk about the damn brisket. <laughs> The brisket that they had. I mean, we are in Texas, but God, it was good. Okay, I, I will agree. The brisket was definitely delicious. But real barbecue comes from North Carolina. I know. So I like the <laughs> vinegar-based. I do. I, I agree with that. Did you see what the sauce, The it was like Dr. Pepper I do flavored. love a good Dr. Pepper sauce. It was delicious. Anyway, so we're having <laughs> drinks instead. Um, now I want to talk about your career because I think mm. that... That's indicative of kind of what you just said in the artificial barriers that we put yeah. up. And, and you know, where did it all start for you? <laughs> I have almost exclusively dated developers. Okay, that's new. Well, we need to get, <laughs> why would you do that? I mean, God, damn curmudgeons. They're wonderful human beings, and some of them are very lovely. Are you a gamer? No. Oh. I also dated exclusively no, we gamers. Yeah, and, I was going to say. What so I d dated developers, and I had this really idealized version of the, these men that I dated. And I was always a QA person. I'm like, oh, we're a perfect match because I'll test your stuff, and you can develop it, and it's super cute. <laughs> okay, that, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's super cute. Um, but it, it made, in my mind, I got this idea that they were something I couldn't be. And oh. right, because they were developers and I was a QA person and I don't know how to code and I don't like math and we talked about physics a minute ago. I failed physics five times. Oh so I had this, this this insane idea that these were this was a different kind of person. And it was a kind of person that I wouldn't ever be. 
So that relates, <laughs> it feels like a weird segue, but it relates to my career trajectory because I started out in support. I did support, I did DevOps, didn't love it, went into quality assurance kind of afterwards, and I'm like, okay, this is my home. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where I love being. But not just any support. Like, you, you worked at one of the top I did. tech companies I, out there. I worked at one of the top tech companies out there, and then I worked for a small music company. I worked for so many different companies. I love support. I just love people. And that was another thing that I thought set me apart. Quote yeah, fingers. Yeah, because I don't like people. From, <laughs> then what are we doing here? <laughs> I like techies. <laughs> oh, now we're not people? <laughs> but that's one of the things that, that kind of set me apart is that I have this passion for humanity. And I'm like, oh, well, developers don't have that. They don't like people. They're curmudgeonly. Yeah. And first off, that's not true. That's just a stereotype. Second off, it, it was just one of those things. I'm like, okay, that is a divide between us. So I'm never going to be that person. I'm never going to be a coder. Uh -huh. Yeah, because I like people. Brains are weird. I don't know why my brain focused on that. No, but it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. And you know, when you say developers are curmudgeon it's a stereotype, I wouldn't agree that it's a stereotype. <laughs> like, they definitely... But they're That's genuine. That's literally what a stereotype but, No, no, but listen. But... They, they're they're also the most earnest yeah. people. I mean, a like they're type genuine. Of they're genuine. Goes into they're real. Yeah. yeah, and that's they're a really real. big deal. They're because logical. I realized last year it's after encountering so one of these people who isn't real, and <laughs> and I couldn't see their like who they were. You know, their rough edges right away. Yeah, don't trust them. I will <laughs> never trust a person like that ever again. This person was a total. But that's the thing, like, we, we make these divides. We say, okay, this is the emotional side, this is the logical side. You can't really cross that. Mm -hmm. So whenever people are talking to me and saying, oh, you should be a developer, you should get into coding, you should, you should code, because that's part of your QA process. I thought to myself in a lot of ways, well, that's not the person I want to be. I don't want to be that kind of person. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert, it turns out you don't have to be an unemotional person to be a coder, to be a development person. That's really cool. So that, that's kind of my career, career trajectory, is holding myself into this really, this space that was good for emotional people, staying away from what I thought was an unemotional task, and realizing as I've gotten older and wiser, maybe, that there's actually a middle ground, that it's a spectrum, it's not a black and white. Yeah. And I definitely fall more on the emotional side of the spectrum. But what that does is it lets me write interesting tests that speak to what the user needs to do, Which, not necessarily what we want them to do. You know, what's interesting is about building applications in, in you know, developers, like, what do they want to see? They want to see features in the hands of their users. They want to see their <laughs> users talk about the functionality they build. It's a very personal thing. Like they, I'm they not are, sure that's true. All no? Why? Okay, so I worked for a company for a while that had a product that was in perpetual alpha. Okay. Um, for whatever reason, we were having... That's a, a timidness. Like, a, like <laughs> we see that as well. When we write blog posts for people that are great blog posts and they're too damn afraid to publish them for whatever reason. Like, they're too afraid to say anything. So, this was a weird thing in that they thought this product was going one direction and uh. then decided they wanted to take it another direction. And for, for various reasons, it stayed in alpha for like a year. 
It was crazy because it just kept getting moved around. And it frustrated me so much. I would be like, oh, y'all, I can't do this anymore. It's driving me crazy. And the developers were like, this is fantastic. I can develop whatever I want. Oh, There's no I users see. to like change my you know, path. Those, yeah, no those, one's going to break it. Oh my God. And they're like, oh, I get to use so many interesting technologies that are new to me. And I'm they like, just wanted to play. Yeah. And that's what it ended up being is this really interesting playground for the developers. And oh. they did some very cool things. But I was bored to tears with it because we didn't have a user base. You never base, saw the response. And I never saw that emotional response that I want out of my work. Yeah. yeah it did it actually go to, to public beta, and users loved it. Oh, so it worked out. Yeah, so it worked Damn out. It. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, want to get super real. Do you feel like gender has been a challenge in your career development? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And how so? I think it's twofold. Like, like, I guess both the obvious and the unobvious ways. And it, like, <laughs> you know, again, you know, in the world of physics, like, it, I love the world of physics, but I, I'm not great at math. Like, theoretical math is great, but I don't feel like that should be the reason why a physicist is not a, willing to have a conversation with me. But at most PhD physicists, you know, if you can't read the equation, they don't want to talk to you about um, anything. Right. A lot of that's about not wanting to have to explain basic concepts over and over, because no. that can get old real fast. No. But you asked about gender. Um, yeah, gender has absolutely played a role in my career and in my career development in a couple of different ways. Internally, uh, there I have a lot of preconceived notions as to what a woman does, like what my role is in tech. And did you do you like? acknowledge that those are there or are they just kind of in the background? You have to acknowledge they're there. You have to look at your motivations and look at why you do things and sit with that and say, okay, what is this healthy for me or is this unhealthy? Uh, at a company a million years ago, I was the only one that took notes. Mm -hmm. None of the men in the group took notes. It was always me or the other woman. And it's interesting to look at the admin style tasks or the non-development style tasks and ask who does them. Who orders lunch for the group? Who makes sure that you've got pens and paper? Who takes notes? Who sets up meetings? Who tells you when it's time to go to a meeting? Is it someone that's female presenting? And in a lot of cases you're going to find out, yeah, it is. It really is. So that's something that I've had to look at in my career and step back from. I love taking notes. I'm super passionate oh. about it. I do, it's so great. But I've had to step back from that role because I realized that internally it's reinforcing I right. do admin tasks because I'm a woman. Interesting. Also stepping back has let some of the other people in my group step up and take notes. Step up and set up meetings. And that's been really powerful for them too. And I'm fairly non-traditional as far as female humans go. Y'all can't see me, but I've got like purple hair with green and blue and pink streaks. For a while, I had shaved sides and was rocking a full mohawk. Super cool. And the shoes. And the shoes. shoes. I dressed I fairly alternatively. <laughs> and that's how I like to be perceived. 
But when someone's looking for a traditionally presenting woman, they're not looking for someone that looks like me, acts like me, talks like me, and that can be really difficult. I, I had someone at a previous job a million years ago, I'm going to keep saying a million years ago even though it wasn't, tell me that uh, they thought I was too loud, that I cursed too much, and that I, I just oh, talked too that. much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I, I wasn't a good representative of the company because of all of these things. And I took a step back and I, I looked at the feedback that they gave me and I thought, wow, that's, that's bullshit. Because I'm, I'm not doing anything that the gentlemen of the group weren't doing and was in fact like telling people not to have as many conversations because they were driving me crazy. So yeah, it affects me like that, and it's directly affected promotions I've gotten and places that I have gone to work. If I go to an interview and it's all straight presenting white men, I'm not going to accept that job offer. Which is probably a good thing, right? You don't want to be in that company. I don't, no. I want to be somewhere that's got diversity of thought, of background, education level, all of that stuff, because that's what makes a good test group. Do you group. think that that diversity reflects in how the applications are being done? A hundred percent. One of my dear friends is colorblind. He's red-green colorblind. And we're developing an application and it looks great and I'm like, look at our application, it's past QA. And he's like, I can't see it. <laughs> he literally was unable to see the icons on wow. the application because of the hues that we'd picked. The, the approved color palette or whatever was not colorblind friendly. Wow. And like, oh my gosh, really? Ash Coleman tells a story uh, about being a black woman in tech and how they asked her, can you help us QA this facial recognition software? Because often it won't see black people or people with very dark skin tones. Interesting. A and she said in one of her talks, if technology, technology is the future and technology literally cannot see me, what does that mean? Oh, wow. That's Goosebumps, intense. right? <laughs> yeah, Goosebumps. Yeah, that's really intense. Yeah. I, uh, now, do you feel like things are improving? Yes. You do? Mm-hmm. Um, I very much do because I think there's a rigidity to business, just a natural kind of structural rigidity to it. And as we start to lose a lot of that, we can bring in more diversity. I picked to work And you talked earlier about mm -hmm. rigidity even in yeah. how testing is done. And I think all of that is going to start fading away because rigidity isn't serving us anymore. A strict 9 to 5, 9 to 6, you get a one-hour lunch break, two 15-minute breaks, isn't how we work now. Yeah, it's almost like there's too much thought on how we do things versus just doing things. I agree no. with that. I very much agree with that. Uh, I picked to work at Willow Tree because I was interviewed by a lot of interesting different people. And when I joined, I found this absolute rainbow of people. There's non-binary people. There's women in powerful positions. But everyone's treated like a human. And we don't have a lot of that rigid structure. The teams actually get to define their structure and define how they want to work. How big are the teams? Eh, depends. 
We've got one that's like four people, and then the team I'm on is like 20, it was 20 something oh, wow. at its max. Yeah, I feel like it, the size of the team matters, though, doesn't it? It's whatever our clients need. Yeah, okay. But we're very self organizing, and it's actually pretty cool, gotta be honest. It's amazing what people can do when you just allow them to. And I, you know, relate this to my girls. I'm watching other families and. You know, all the, and my wife is better at this than me, but it's kind of like, you know, it's shocking what kids can do if you just let them do it versus be having this precursor in their mind like, no, they're not ready for that yet. Like, do you really know? Like, you who wrote don't. the book that says when somebody is ready for something or when they're not ready for something? Exactly. And I feel like that childlike spirit of, exploration and determining your path and learning how to do these things is something that we haven't had in business and I think it's something that's starting to come in because the generation I'm part of and the generation kind of below me are that's where we function what is your generation? best. Are you a damn millennial? I think I'm technically a millennial. I was born 81? in 84 yeah, but I wasn't raised with technology very much so I'm like on the cusp. Well, there's early millennials and late. It's like the baby boomers. There's early right, baby right. boomers that are radically different than late ones. I was also raised in the All country, like bad. rural North I'm Carolina. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Millennials are amazing. Don't listen to this, man. Uh, I was raised in rural North Carolina, so we didn't have internet or cable. Your accent only came out way right when you said that. That's because I'm halfway done with my drink. <laughs> yes. I think it's contradictory to, you know, if if modern software delivery is all about getting functionality mm -hmm. out there, seeing how it does and iterating on it so that you can beat your competition, which is a dollar, like there is it's money, absolute tied, money to tied to that, it. Then you're, the way you operate internally has to kind of match that. And I and it really what it comes down to Maria is why the hell are we wasting time on like who somebody is? And like, let's just focus on getting stuff done. And as long as the team members are contributing to that, it doesn't matter. And like everybody bringing their elements to the table is a huge aspect to that. Like I, I didn't realize how little I actually knew uh, until I started listening to other people. <laughs> that happens, <laughs> you know? yeah. Because it's really easy to be like, oh, I already know everything. The thing is though, language is important. Titles are important. It is titles are important? Titles are important. No. How we define ourselves is important. Like, we recently, recently at my job, we switched from calling ourselves quality assurance to test engineers. Yeah. And okay. I had a lot of trouble with that. I actually talked to the VP of test engineering. Got it right. Because I had so much trouble with changing from QA to TE. Because I've been quality assurance my whole life. I don't actually think you can assure quality. I like to think of it as quality quality advocacy. Mm. But this change really bothered me on a deep level because I'm like, I'm not an engineer. I'm a quality human. I'm a tester. That's what I do. Uh, and it, it, it took me a while to become comfortable with saying test engineering. And that's just the, the, the emotional component of it. I yeah. love it now, though. Well, how big is your organization? Uh, there's a little over 300 of us in two offices. Yeah. I, maybe it's it's the you know how you um, respond to titles. Maybe that's maybe that's what I struggle with because I feel like that's true. You know, I see it in the tech space all the time. People 
calling themselves CTOs and CTOs. I'm like, what? I don't even know what the hell that means. <laughs> like, what, what do you do? And, and, but it's not like the organization matters. Like you have to organize your code, you have to organize your tests, you have mm -hmm. to organize your pipeline. You have to, um, but it's, it's if you respond to titles in a like very hierarchical, you're yeah. higher than me type respect, that's what I don't like. I think that's one of the nice things we've got is a senior software tester is not in charge of a junior software tester. It just means she's got more experience. Yeah, and experience is huge. Experience is huge. Like I was my smartest at 23. I only got dumber, but my experience. You did have kids, didn't you? <laughs> my experience definitely is overcompensating or, you know, mm -hmm. overcoming that. But yeah, that experience is a big deal. Um, yeah, that's Expectations. Yeah. Like, I expect a senior, whatever the heck, to be able to mentor someone that's more junior. Right. Uh, yeah. I know, it's interesting. Yeah. Humans are fun. They should be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, sure. They, they are should, fun. They should be able to not just hold the knowledge, but also be able to give the knowledge. Yeah, and if they're not willing to do that, then. Then that's then that's, that's a scary. A yeah, that's a bad sign. Well, there's places for people like that. There's places for the people that just want to go heads down and just code and not interact with other people. But you need to set that expectation. Right, that makes sense. I yeah. don't particularly want to hang out with them necessarily because I'm very much a learner. Well, you don't have to like everybody, right? That's true. I do wish everyone that's would like me. That's something else I had to learn <laughs> is that I. You know, I thought I had to like everybody I work with, but not really. As long as they provide, I mean, I've never, the best salespeople I've ever known are all the worst humans. They're great salespeople, <laughs> you know, and salespeople that's, are that's necessary. I, I had a, a, a job a million years ago, as I've been saying, where I had someone at the job I just didn't like. I really didn't like her. She didn't like me. We fought every time we, we got together and my boss let me down. And I'm like, oh, I just, I don't like her. I just don't like her. And he goes, that's fine. Be an adult. Mm. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So you're right. We don't have to like everyone, but we do need to be adults, professional humans. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've spent all of our time on, on <laughs> careers and development, but I want to go back to why it's so important. You know, the tech field is a very crowded space. Mm -hmm. You know, people will go into college and be like, I'm going to get into tech, right? The expectation is set that they take some courses and they can suddenly be into tech or they go to a code camp and, and they think suddenly... by virtue, <laughs> what? Jazz hands. No. <laughs> by virtue of going through the code camp, they're like going to get a job, mm -hmm. but they haven't learned how to learn. They haven't like developed soft skills right. and so forth. Like it's a, it, the reason it's important is it's really hard to get in and get a job and you have to fight for mm -hmm. it. You have to, you know, Stand up for yourself, right. evangelize yourself, yep. and that's hard, and especially in the world of QA, that's hard. Yes. I, I feel like soft skills, and I'm going to say soft skills a bunch. I know, I hate the term, but let's <laughs> do it. It's such a good we, term. We did it in episode one. Do it. Soft skills. I feel like it's really important to be able to interface with other humans, and that's something we don't teach. Yeah. We just assume that you can do it. Right. And that's such a disservice to so many people. Right. A lot of the most amazing humans I've worked with are terrible at interviewing, like catastrophically bad. 
It doesn't mean they're not great at their jobs. It just means they're not great at that aspect yeah. of getting a job. That's hard. Me personally, I'm a classic extrovert. I'm amazing at interviews. <laughs> like I do mock interviews and they ask to hire me. That good. <laughs> That's a skill I have. That's not a skill that's right. ever taught to anyone. Right. If we teach them things about interviewing, we're like, okay, so this is the question you ask. This is the response you give. This is what you should expect. We don't teach people about conversation. We don't yeah. teach people about selling yourself. Do you want another one? I would love another one. Um, yeah, I'll... S what do I want? <laughs> Do I stick with the McCollin or do I, go? I, would, I would say you stick with the you McCollin because I think it's such a great color. Drink. Wait, what is in a white Russian? It's milk, Kahlua, and vodka. Oh, you do half and half? Yeah. It's rich. It's super rich. I'm going to order your drink because you didn't order it. White Russian. <laughs> oh, where were we? Oh, right. We were talking about human interfacing. We teach them how to answer questions. We don't teach them how to connect with someone. We don't yeah. teach them about eye contact. And what we also don't do is on the other side, we don't teach interviewers about... I'm trying to think how Again, I the rigidity this. and the formula no, and the we don't teach do people. those things. We think, okay, someone that's good at talking to other humans makes eye contact. They lean forward. They engage physically in some kind of way. You're gonna give me a complex. <laughs> what am I doing wrong right now? Uh, you're actually doing super well. You're, oh, cool. you're very open. You don't have your hands crossed across your chest. You're, you look great. You're smiling, you're making eye contact. I'm only smiling now because you're, you're not being <laughs> awkward. But that's the thing. That's how we're trained to say that this is a person that's good. Someone that doesn't make eye contact crosses their arms across their chest, has a small hunched posture, we think, what are they hiding? Yeah. And what they're, what's happening is it could be social anxiety. But we, we've been trained that that disqualifies them from getting a job. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's silly. So, um, so back to just the world of testing, like what do you see <laughs> happening why does every interview have to see the end with what's the future? It doesn't matter. I'm going to ask it anyway. Go for what do you it. think is going to happen in the, you know, honestly, I, I'm frustrated because I, why are we still talking about test automation? I don't understand. But. Like, oh, I can answer that. Okay. Why? So we're still talking about test. Thank you. We're still talking about test automation because we haven't, because we think it's a, a separate discipline from manual testing. Okay. We think it's a separate line right. item. Okay. Yeah. We think it's you, something you separate that, that you have that. to pay for. Yeah. We haven't fully integrated test automation and human testing. So automated testing and human testing. We have not integrated them as a single discipline. This is a spectrum. You have manual testing, human testing on one side, you have automated testing on the other side. Different projects are gonna fall in a different place on that spectrum. Different humans fall in a different place on that spectrum, and you can move back and forth. But what we consider, and I say we, and I don't mean me, because clearly I'm thinking spectrum, but what we, what the technology in general has decided is that these are two separate things yep. done by different people. Yeah. 
and that is why we talk about it still. It's the same with being a man or a woman. Like you're like, you're either a man or a woman. It's all but also that's a spectrum. You can fall anywhere on the spectrum. You can even fall off the spectrum if you want. But we still have these rigid thought processes around human testing versus automated testing. So we actually, even in our conversations, Mm-hmm. We silo mm-hmm. the two. I just siloed them. Absolutely, <laughs> because it's it's how we've been trained. But damn to think it! About why it. isn't everybody automating? <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand. It's uh, it's how we've been trained to think about it. It's how we have always thought about it. When you go to college, you learn how to be a developer. You're not told, hey, there's also these other beautiful realms of technology you could get into. If you go to a school that has a quality assurance track, you learn how to be an automated tester. You don't learn human testing. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Episode two. Thank you. We didn't do food. We drank, <laughs> we drank the world. We drank we didn't our do, dinner. We didn't, we didn't eat the world. But I think this is great, and I think that um, the career element, the human element of all of this is, is critical. Um, no matter how cliche um, soft skills are. You can call it human interfacing okay, instead of soft skills. There you go. That's your new phrase. Um, then, but it, it's critical. So I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This has been wonderful.